welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. With that said, let's get on the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. How's everybody doing this fine morning? How's everybody doing this fine morning? Uh, we're going to make this uh, live stream short. Uh, it's going to be about backend engineering theme. So ask any questions you want about the backend. Don't ask me about the front end because I don't know much about that. But let's have some discussion. Let's just drink our coffee, drink your favorite beverage, and let's just have fun. How about you guys? What is everybody doing? What is the best back-end track for front-end engineer to become a full-stack engineer? Wow, that's a loaded question for the mor- for morning. Okay. Um, so for, for, for a front-end engineer to become a full-stack engineer, so that's the path that you're looking at. In order to become a full stack engineer, I look at full stack engineering as, as something you start with, to be, to be honest, something you get started with. And uh, why? Because in the first year or two, you guys start to taste uh, different things, right? Because as a full stack engineer and most front engineer, front end engineers from what I saw online as actually kind of have the full stack property where, where they build their backend. They don't build it as, as a great backend, but they do build a backend. They build the database. So when you when you do that part, when you build the whole stack, you get to experience almost everything. Not really. There are some certain, well, it depends what you're building, but certain, certain layers you're omitting for, for productivity reasons. Like if you're building a development you're developing something in the developing stage you're not going to implement reverse proxies right probably not unless you're actually testing a reverse proxy so yeah so for an engineer you got to test everything as a, as a as a full stack engineer you got to test all that stack and when you do that you will you will see what you gravitate to you will see what you like and what you don't like and then most most front end engineers end up being full stack engineers from my from what I see personally and most full stack engineers uh, 
when they start as full stack engineer, either gravitate towards front end or towards the back end. And even if you do that, you go to the back end, you, you, you get to pick from, from a flower garden of what do you, what exactly you want to be as a back end engineer. Same thing applies to the front end engineer. What exactly you want to become in the front end engineer? What do you, what do you, what are you experienced at? Are you a browser? Are you good in the browser? Are you good in, 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 um, in the, uh, what is this thing, uh, thing that's called the, 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 the proxy layer that they added in the browser? I keep forgetting what it's called. Yeah, service something, right? So, so whether you want to do that or you go to mobile, all of that's kind of front-end engineering, right? Even the word front-end versus back-end, it only applies to client-server architecture where, where you have a back-end to consume from a front-end. And you can see this pattern repeating, repeating everywhere. Even in the back-end, we have a front-end and a back-end. And even in the back-end, in the back-end, 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 we have a front-end and in the back-end. Constantine, how are you doing? Martin, what's up? Nelson says, hi, Hussein. I like your videos. Thanks, Nelson. I appreciate you. Please explain asynchronous event in JavaScript versus callback to a 10-year-old kid. I remember the joke from The Office. I don't know if you guys watch The Office, but it's one of my favorite shows, The Office US. So the, there is this episode, and in, in it's called The Surplus, and Oscar comes in. Well, there's no spoiler. But Oscar comes in, and he's explain, trying to explain a surplus to, to, to Michael. <laughs> and Michael didn't understand anything he said. So it's like, why don't you explain to me like, like I'm an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old? Then he started explaining a little bit with with different vocabularies. But he said, why do you explain it to me like I'm five? <laughs> That's that that meme gets me every time. So yeah, why? Well, how do you explain asynchronous JavaScript uh, to uh, versus? versus callback so so i'm gonna explain this in in a, in a sense of um of a single threaded uh, application so think about it this way when you have a callback it it acts very very similar to 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 asynchronous events loop it's all the same thing so you're talking about different uh, you're talking about a causal and effect an asynchronous loop, right? The event loop, and we have we have we have the the callbacks, which is an effect of as a result. And we have the promises, which is just a pretty version of what callbacks is. To my knowledge, obviously, I'm not a JavaScript expert engineer on how how it was built, but that's what I understand. So there's something called the event loop, and and what. JavaScript is a single threaded app. There is a single main thread, right? That's not entirely true in Node.js, but let's assume it is, okay? So JavaScript takes care of different properties. And there is an infinite loop that just goes over and over and over again. That's, that's what the thread does. And every time this thread loops, there are things that this thread checks. Literally, it's just like while one... If you want to build it, there's a curly brace. And then first thing it checks, it checks for events from the DOM, the document object management, uh, the, the document object 
what is it called? DOM. DOM. What does DOM stand for? Oh my god, I forgot everything. Document object model. Sheesh. All right. So it checks if there are event like on click if someone clicked, and then it checks if there is someone actually submitted a function. Okay, and if there is a function submitted, it checks is this function synchronous. And we talked about synchronous versus asynchronous. Uh, check out the video, guys. Just search synchronous versus asynchronous Hussein. You're gonna find it. So if there's a synchronous function that I don't know, it does, it does, it calculates a prime number. That thread gonna be busy doing that. So anything after that has gonna wait. So that's why when you have a fucking function that has a very com expensive compute in 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 the browser, and you clicked on a button, that button doesn't get clicked. It just freezes. Why? Because the event loop didn't have the time to jump back to actually serve you the on-click event. So that's one example of, of how the event loop uh, actually works. So, so callbacks, what happens with callbacks is uh, you execute a function, and if you say, hey, call me, don't, don't actually do the result right now. Execute the result on the background, and when you get when when you get a result, call me back on this function. So what what happens here is that the thread instead of synchronously be busy just executing that thing, it's now have the option to ex execute it on the background. That's another thing that the single th the the main thread does, which is okay. Let me execute this this asynchronous function. So it's gonna so execute it and then it's going to move on and have this the CPU thread. So, so there is a difference between the software thread and the CPU thread. Okay, but, but we're talking about the software thread when I say a thread here. So it's gonna take, okay, go move on and do the other things. It, it, it just, it's called time slicing. It slices the time. So even if you decided to do an, uh, a, a loop, right, to calculate the prime number asynchronously, you, you, you will have, instead of being blocked, right, you will have time slice. That work is going to be slower, nevertheless, because you have a single thread. But it's going to start doing all that stuff in a time slice manner. So, okay, it's maybe it's, it's going to loop 100,000 times and then just go serve some events and then go back and do some other stuff and then go another 100,000. So it's going to start time slicing its work. Okay, this is different than Node.js, for instance, where you're reading from a disk or you're sending uh, a network call, like a fetch API call, right? That is a little bit different. Let's explain that a little bit. You you ask very very tough question in the beginning of the meeting. Who asked this? I, I need to credit you. It's a good question. I, I like it. <laughs> I, I, I think I missed that. But yeah, it's a, it's a great question regardless. So when you when you send that request like you send a rest api call from the javascript that client is not doing literally anything right browser is not doing anything it's just waiting so that's the best thing for the browser it's not actually doing compute it sends that request all of does have to do is like establish the tcp connection if it doesn't exist that's work and then do the tls handshake that's a little bit of work that's cryptography that's encryption that's a little bit of work and then after that it does um, 
and maybe browsers do that in other threads i'm not sure right but i'm 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 giving you the simplest thing that i would have built right At, or or like a ghetto version of of a browser right with a single thread so what you're gonna do is that TLS and that once you have TLS, you have a connection and then you have to start building the HTTP call, get, so you have some string manipulation. If you have HTTP2, tough luck, that's even more work because you have to actually, the browser have to do uh, streams, have to build a stream, each stream has headers. So there's a little bit more work on HTTP, especially with CPU usage. That 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 actually that actually proves that this is happening in in the C plus plus library in the browser. I'm talking about Chrome. Chrome is built in C plus plus, right? So that happening outside JavaScript. When you write your code, you just send a request. But all of this work happening on that, so that might actually be multi-threaded. So it, it really it's a very complex question, right? Where are you? You as a front-end engineer you have access to a single stinking thread that's it you don't have access to all the beauty stuff unless you're building wasm uh, web assembly then you're golden you will have access to the actual the browser will execute your web assembly code whether you compile it from go from c that's a different story so yeah so in, in a fetch request you don't really wait you just send it you don't you wait but you don't actively spend time blocking waiting that's the best callback. So when you send a request, you just do your own thing. That event loop does exactly the same thing. Hey, do I have a do I have a result back? Do I did I get a result back? Did I get a result back? Nope. 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 Once you actually get a result from the server, the operating system will do its TCP stack thingy and then will light up an event and then the C thing and browser will push that event and then writes a callback function. And calls actually say, hey, there is a callback. It doesn't call it. The event loop, the next time it loops back, oh, there is a callback. I have to actually execute it. And it, it executes it. And that's when your, your code actually gets light up. Oh, someone just called my callback function. That is exactly similar to how promises work. It's just syntactical sugar. Okay? So that's how it works. Hi, Sam. I'm working as a software engineer mostly front end but i want to switch to back end side in my company guide me what i should do um start start if if you have back end infrastructure and i assume you do in your company then start just hanging out with the back end engineer i guess and uh, start just showing interest and most of the time you'll be surprised if you ask your managers hey i'm interested in the back end i, I no longer want to be a front end engineer Right. Again, nothing wrong with being a front-end engineer at all. It's just, it's just it's, it comes down to interest. So yeah, and start actually showing your skills. If you know the back-end, just try to build something and, and try to identify the problems in the back-end. So do research, ask questions, all that stuff. Sekar says, do you think WebRTC will make Zoom obsolete? Zoom as the app? Oh, no, I don't think so. I don't even know how Zoom architecture works. Did they did they actually explain it in a blog? I'd like to make a video about it. But I know it's not peer to peer. Definitely, Zoom is not peer to peer. Otherwise, you cannot have hundred people in a call. That's just impossible. 
But WoBartC gives you a nice API. And guys, what do you think about WoBartC video? I, I, I enjoyed making that video. That was good. This might be a dumb question, but what font do you use on your thumbnail? I love the way you look. Oh, thank you. Uh, not, don't dumb at all. I, I found that font. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually opening Canva. Canva, by the way, a lot of people ask me, how do you make your thumbnail? I'm not a Photoshop designer. I know nothing about Photoshop. I don't even... I never opened Photoshop in my life. Maybe once in, in the university back, what, uh, 19 years ago. That's the last time I opened Photoshop. I don't know anything about Photoshop. So the font is, I use Canva for everything. I pay around $120 a year and I get access to all these fancy logos. And 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 uh, yeah, for the longest time, I, I can build the thumbnail on my phone, all that stuff. Obviously, they're not sponsored or anything like that. But what's the font? It's called Adumo Regular. Adumo Regular. Let me type it in. Adumo Regular. 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 I don't know if you, you're going to find it, though. That's that's the font name I just typed in, in the chat. Lakshay, thank you for the 50 rupees. Appreciate it. Appreciate the support. And guys, don't don't feel obliged to to do super chats at all. Just I just hanging out, just watching my content. You just being here is all what I need. Really appreciate you guys. Vato, hi Hussein. I'm trying to figure out why I'm getting five o two bad gate gateway errors on my server. To clarify, I'm getting five o two from other service used on my server. Any tips? So. 502, let me remember that. I think it's a gateway error, right? 502A gateway error, okay. 502, uh, don't look at the blogs when you when you say 502. 502, bad gateway. So this is, this is an HTTP. So this is an HTTP error, obviously, right? And when the fact that you got response back, think about, I want you to understand this thing, guys. A lot of people don't understand what's going on when they get these kind of errors. They think something is broken. You need, you have so much clue when they give you this error, right? When you connect, you connect to a reverse proxy. I, I, I'm very hundred percent sure that you have a reverse proxy when you when you get a five hundred two error gateway. Nginx tells you a little bit more errors, but HA proxy give you five hundred two, unless your web server somehow returns five hundred two. Most of the time, you have a reverse proxy. Okay, you make a request to the reverse proxy. Reverse proxy usually does not serve content, right? Sometimes it does, but usually it does not, right? It relies on some backend, other backend. Let me do it this way so you can see. The client sends the reverse proxy, and the reverse proxy is sent to a backend. And the backend services actually respond back to the reverse proxy, and actually the reverse proxy responds back. So this is the chain that we're looking at. And this could happen infinite amount of time. The other backend service could be other reverse proxies for another backend service. That's why microservices are very complicated. So now this is what this is the architecture. You're getting a 502 error. The fact that you're actually getting an error from the reverse proxy, that tells me that the reverse proxy is happy. It's great, right? Because it managed to respond to you with content, and the content happened to be an error. Who cares? But once you understand that, you understand that. Okay, there is five, 
the the reverse i sent a request to the reverse proxy the reverse proxy tried to communicate to the back end usually when it couldn't whether the back end is unavailable or the back end took too long to respond that's a different error by the way usually the generic error says gateway error the back end crashed or you have some problem with your reverse proxy rules that the reverse proxy doesn't know where to forward the request to so again this you get only this error i believe if i'm not mistaken in layer 7 proxy in layer 4 proxying if you can't reach out the back end i think you're just gonna get the the loading error in the browser says hey this wait see i almost missed it yo no you didn't we just started don't worry we just started uh, I tried to do a schedule this time. I don't know, guys. Did did the scheduling help you to actually find the find the the content, find the live stream? Because I, I I'm trying to live stream every Saturday, and now the time it really depends on my family, so I'm not sure. So it could be seven, could be nine PST, and today I start streaming seven because we have to do some some other stuff to take care of it. Please, can you explain dependency in version and app context? I don't know what's that. Sorry, Nelson. I don't know what dependency in version is. Um, how can you discover and dig technology like your videos? Um, Muhammad asked, how do you discover and dig technologies like your videos? I mean, how do you research, basically? Um, uh, it takes time, really. It's, you see a fully polished video, but you don't see the work behind behind how much hours spent to actually make that video right and and I'm, I'm talking about not just the hours spent to make that dedicated video i'm talking about the built-in uh, compound interest of knowledge that you built because as you learn more knowledge and you acquire new knowledge you start building on the old knowledge and once you have that you're unstoppable because you're building on a solid foundation. Once you understand the first principle, everything can, can be built so easily. It's like a Lego blocks. If you have a weak base and then you start building on top of that, it falls apart because you, you start adding new pieces and says, wait a second, I don't understand what this means, right? Because says, the moment it falls apart, that means you have a weak infrastructure. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm explaining this a little bit emphatically, but... Think about it as, as an actual idea. So, so yeah. So that's that's uh, basically my my process. Is uh, it takes me a long time to to do a research. That's why the WebRTC is a good example. It took me a long time to actually sit down and do the research for WebRTC. It took almost two years. But when I say two years, I'm not. I didn't spend 24 hours a day, 36, five, 30, 365 days researching WebRTC. No, I I went into rabbit holes. Uh, that comes back to the co collateral knowledge. Check out the collateral knowledge. Uh, I'm gonna type it here. Collateral knowledge. I hope I spelled it right. So collateral knowledge. Just Google that. I think I'm still the only video that ex actually explained this in, in the human speak other the, the uh, other video is just a, a 40 hour lecture that i didn't understand anything from <laughs> so collateral knowledge is the idea of you want to learn nginx or you want to learn uh, redux 
Okay, I asked that uh, that day Redux uh, question front end. So you want to learn Redux, and in the process of learning Redux, you stumbled upon terminologies that you had no idea of. It's like, what the hell is a singleton design pattern? So you start doing, okay, singleton design pattern is a, is a pattern where, where you get a single instance of a class, no matter where you call it from. It's a global model. It's like, a, what the hell is a design pattern? And then you start learning about different design patterns. That's that, 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 the fact of you're searching a single goal and you get collateral knowledge as a result for free. Not really for free, but you get it, right? You get it because you you walking towards that goal. See ya. Thank you for the consistently consistently great content. Thank you for the super chart. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. What's the difference, Viraj? Viraj, you're a badass. I, I like I like all your comments. Thank you for the support and and, and continuous comments and discussion. Good discussion point. What's the difference between a massage queue and a task queue? Ooh. So, I would say that, that that's a that's a very interesting question, and I, and I like that you actually. Uh, try to to make a difference between the two it's a queue right that both of them a task queue and and the message queue are, are the exact thing which is a queue what is a queue you you go and you wait and someone else comes behind you and wait and so it's a first in first in fifo first in first in is that what i said first in last out first fifo first in first out okay Oh, I forgot about all this stuff. So first in, the one who first enters the queue, he will be first to be served, right? So, so or she. So the message queue. A message is a message. You add a message, which is a content, in the queue, and someone needs to pop it out of the queue to actually do something with that message. And once that message popped off the queue, and, 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 and hundred times and processed then you pop it off the queue and that's the challenge that every message queue has exactly one's guarantee all that garbage that kafka has exactly one's guarantee at most one's guarantee all of that at least one's guarantee all these guarantees because it's like how do i know if i pop the message and i actually the client has didn't crash Maybe they popped a message, but they they crashed. That's why you have to acknowledge that you actually, hey, I got you, I got you, I got you, I'm done, all done. So, so I, I actually process it. So feel free to pop it from the queue. So that's another topic of discussion. So that's a message. So the the, the execution of of what to do with the message is done externally. The task queue is usually a higher level concept that's how i understand it at least where you submit a message right with input compute function and output expected output and you submit that structure to the queue okay and what happened here is when i as a process pop this task this function from the queue same same exactly to, to me it's just a string it's just a bunch of content right but i will 
process what you actually put as a function in the queue. I'll just process it. In the message queue, you have a little bit more freedom. You put the execution outside of the queue task. Now the queue, the task queue has the actual uh, execution function in it, right? That's how I understand it, at, the, at least, right? So the task queue is a, it's, you can see the task queue is a, is a, is a more general case. Yeah, the, the message queue is a general case of a task queue. Task queue is just, yeah, it actually does more than just queuing. It actually executes the task, right? And when, you, when you, we execute the task, we talk about, okay, uh, how, many, uh, how many processes do you, do you want to execute the task and all that stuff, right? All of that. I think salary with RabbitMQ kind of work hand in hand, right? Because uh, salary does the execution while RabbitMQ does the storing of the message. Again, I might be wrong. I haven't looked at that for a long time. How to implement process-intensive task in Node.js like Mongo, Mongo image component. Why did I write it in Mongo? <laughs> oh, I'm getting old. I can't even read. Uh, how to implement process-intensive task in Node.js like image compression. Heard about C++ add-on Node.js, but don't know how to implement. I mean, why would you pick Node.js for such complex task? To me, I wouldn't pick JavaScript. Like, if it's a process-intensive, you have to pick a language that, first of all, it's not garbage collection. It's not garbagely collected, right? Because you want... You want to manage uh, the memory yourself if you know what you're doing. So Rust, uh, C++, uh, C, if you're feeling brave. And that gives you uh, almost metal level access to the CPU, right? So you have more access. Node.js is a very high level language. As it's a, plus it's a single threaded, right? Yeah, you can you can definitely spin up multiple C, uh, processes and do all of that stuff. But I don't see it as a good idea to to have Node.js execute expensive compute like that. It's not designed for that. Yeah, you can do it, but it's not designed for that. So if you have Node.js as a web server that accepts uh, traffic, have it does, does that job and that job only. And then offload that work to a C++ uh, component. Now the trick is how do you com communicate between the C++ component and the Node.js? That's IPC. Uh, it's called IPC. What's well, a remote RPC? Sorry, remote procedural call. Musa, hello, Sam. Please, what is the effective way to build following RDBMS? Oh, that's a tough question. RDBMS, MTM, item quotation, item quotation. I don't know. That's a tough question for for live chat, man. I, it's not very clear. Maybe you can rephrase it. I'm so sorry about that. Let's play PlayStation. Sure. Um, 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 uh, <laughs> would you actually watch me play and just chat about back engineering? I really doubt it. Good morning, Farah. What's your opinion on real-time uh, protocol? RTMP. Also interesting to know how lots of companies are adopting Quick. Yeah, it is very interesting to, that people are starting adopting Quick. Uh, also, although it's just in draft mode, so they are just at the bleeding edge, right? Facebook, basically, the 
we made that video about Facebook moving to quick as a technology. And it's a very interesting. It's a very, very interesting thing to learn that they are actually moving to quick. And then a lot of people are following that. When I say people, I mean companies, obviously. Uh, real-time protocol, it's, it's, it's what live streaming works on. And I mean, we're live streaming and that's the real-time protocol. What is it called? RTMP. I forgot what the M stands for. Real-time. Guys, what does the M stand for? Can you guess? How dumb am I? <laughs> real-time messaging protocol. So it's a protocol built on UDP for real-time communication. Constantine, thank you for the $15 super chat. How much would you charge per hour for a one-to-one -one mentoring? A couple of hours a month to keep me helping accountable growth. I'm currently with a software. Uh, I'm currently with a software developer in the U.S. with a five-year experience. Um, I'm sorry, I don't do one-to-one -one mentoring. Not now, at least. But I'll let you know if that changes. I just don't have that time for it. But thank you for the super chat. Appreciate it. Having integer type auto increment primary key help in better indexing and fast uh, DB reads. So auto increment is always a good idea because you let the database do the incrementation for you, right? So it's like it does the increment for you. The worst thing you can do is that you increment at the application level and start that you you start you try to store that incrementation. Don't get me wrong. You have to do that sometime. You have to increment at the application. I built a lot of applications where I, there is no choice. The database understand the context to increment that correctly because I, I need to increment it in certain cases versus not, right? So, yeah, uh, obviously it helps indexing because uh, the moment you have a, a sorted thing in the database, databases love sorted stuff. So, yeah, they do. RMTP, real-time messaging protocol, of course. MQL messaging. I think it's under TCP based off Flash. Really? It's TCP? I would be surprised if it's TCP, dude. I think RMT, RT, uh, RM, RT, damn it, RTMP, the real-time protocol. You know what? I'll just make a video about this. I'll, I'll need to educate myself about this, right? Would like to see a tutorial on it. You write a tutorial on it. We'll, we'll come soon, Sam. Pranto Hassan, you're a good guy. Love your video. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Hi again, Hassan from Italy. See ya. You're a regular, uh, you're a regular, you're a regular, uh, you're a regular in chat. See ya. Thank you so much. Could you talk about the pros and cons of garbage collectors? Uh, from my experience, the applications I did wasn't consumed by millions and millions of users. So, you don't feel garbage collection rearing its head and actually pausing your application. You do that if you're if your Google, Facebook, or Shopify scale were garbage or, or Linkerd scale, or were, if your application or if your application is 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 heavily trafficked, right? Then garbage collection becomes a, a real problem. But the problem here is garbage collection is 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 very very small chunk of the expense that that get executed on the on the on any request very very minimal and usually it's it, it's once per hundred requests right because and usually if if you do a bad job at memory memory location right where where things just happen to be like 
pull a memory location, then uh, you have a lot of work that to 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 actually free up memory, right? This doesn't happen in C C plus plus because you have to manage your memory yourself. But if you're putting a lot of stuff in memory, big big content in memory, and then all of a sudden you discard that, oh, garbage collection need to go and actually freeze the apps is app stop right there don't touch ram until i clean up this mess that you created so it goes and then clean up this mess and during the cleanup the app pauses for 100 millisecond 50 millisecond so that not that not much if your request already takes like 500 millisecond six 600 milliseconds not gonna be much right but if your request takes i don't know 20 30 milliseconds, especially in a microservices, very tight environment where things are talking to each other, then 100 milliseconds is going to kill you, right? So you need to worry about that. But most of the time, for most of us, we don't have to worry about garbage collection, rearing its head. So pick a garbage collection language. Again, really depends. Uh, I keep uh, coming up with this example where... Uh, Garbage collected languages, and uh, there is a live example from from Linkerd Confluent, a company that built a surface mesh. Right, surface mesh. If you don't know, it's it's just a fancy term for reverse proxy, for both a reverse proxy and a proxy. Don't sweat it. That's that's what it is, right? And and if you don't know what reverse proxy, check out my video reverse proxy. So. It's to communicate between two services, they put two extra layers on top of the services. And instead of communicating the services directly, they put a reverse proxy and a proxy to communicate these, these, uh, between these two services. Now, if you think about it a little bit, instead of raw implementation, what I connect directly, now you added two hops. You better not add almost no latency when you do that. You might say, Hussein, why did we add two hops? Why did we add this? No, that's a different question. I made a video about river, uh, service mesh sidecar pattern. Check out that video. But the idea here is to isolate the application from networking. That's the goal, right? Because we don't want the application to know about the protocol that we're communicating in so that we can easily upgrade it. So let's say you communicate in HTTP 1.1 between the services and all of a sudden you want to upgrade to HTTP 2 or 3 or quick. What do you do? You have to to rebuild your application so that it's it is aware of HTTP 1 and now you have to destroy the HTTP 1 library and upgrade to HTTP 2 library. Imagine all the bugs that you're going to get replacing code copy and paste what the heck was that? replace uh, uh, and paste uh, all that stuff so the application can suffer as a result if you do it if you do it as a sidecar then the application communicate with the reverse proxy as a local host it's a it's a loop back it just loops back to itself if the sidecar isn't the same host you can put it in another host but that's the bad idea so or the same container right that's a called a sidecar container in that case so they have the same loop back so if you send, the application just sends back a, a request to the to the reverse proxy to the sidecar and the sidecar knows how to transfer this information back to the actual reverse proxy in this case it's called a proxy if you send you are a requester and if the other side is called a reverse proxy where it accepts the request 
and forwards it back to the client, which happens to be a backend service. It's it's an interesting technology. I loved it when I first heard about. It. But so that's the sidecar proxy. So why did why is why start explaining about service mesh all of a sudden? Well, yes, because I wanted to because one gentleman or gentlewoman asked about um, a question about garbage collecting languages. So those guys, LinkRD, which built this service mesh, which is this thing that's always on the way. Not to mention there is a control plane as well. They said they use Java, which is the worst language to use when when you are a proxy. Why? Because you there's traffic going on all the time. Plus the JVM is huge. I don't know, 200, 300 megs sometimes just to execute. You you explain you you compute a lot of memory. Plus it's a garbage collection language. So the more requests you receive, the more memory you're gonna allocate, the more memory you need to garbage collect. And when that happens, the application poses says, guys, stop everything you're doing. I'm cleaning up, right? It's, it's a cleaning up. I don't know why I'm making this song. Start cleaning up. And when you clean up, you cannot do anything. It just freezes. And those freezes, you feel it in the request. So a request that takes few milliseconds, now all of a sudden takes 150 milliseconds. That, that's much. Again, guys, that's when they said, oh, Java is a bad choice for, for this kind of application, for just that kind. We need to shift it back to they built it using Rust. So it's no, no longer a garbage collecting language. But I say it built it, but it's, it's a hard problem. They, the Rust wasn't popular back when they did that three, four years ago. So that's one choice where they move from a garbage collection to a non-garbage collected language. But you don't have to worry about it if you're building, I don't know, a REST API most of the time, right? So short answer, that wasn't short at all. Short answer is build an app. If you build, it depends on your app. If your app had heavily trafficked and and it's it's very low latency and garbage collection is actually killing you, then you move to a non-garbage collection. But again, it really depends. Hi, Hassan. Carlos says hi, Hassan. Excellent channel and great information as always. Appreciate you, sir. How about Golang to implement a proxy? Uh, so here's here's where it gets a little po- political, right? Golang is being used by a lot of applicants. I mean, I know Caddy uses Golang, but I'm yet to see Caddy in production as a proxy. I have not seen anyone uses Caddy as a production. And when I ask the 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 developer, the developer sometimes uh, Matt Hall is he's a smart engineer, but he doesn't take any criticism lightly. He's just he shuts you off. <laughs> but he's smart. He's smart. So. When I asked, it's like, yeah, he, he's like, uh, do I have any caddy customers so I can look? Because I, I want input, right? And we want, he said, uh, well, the people who uses caddy don't want to tell others that they use caddy. I was like, okay, that's, that's weird. But yeah, Go is a garbage collection language, but I know garbage collection, Go as a garbage collection is they, they did so much improvement that I, I need to read on. To, to improve garbage collection itself so it doesn't actually pose, right? I don't know much about it, but again, I need, I need to see numbers. I didn't see any numbers with Go, uh, with Go as a reverse proxy 
right? That's why people don't pick goals. You pick, you pick it as when your latency is doesn't really gives you that much, right? Differences. But yeah. But I need to make a video about Caddy 2. Uh, I made a video about Caddy 1. I need to talk about Caddy 2 as a as an observer. And, and you guys know my opinion when it comes to uh, something that does everything, right? A caddy does a web server, a great web server, a secure web server. That, if they stopped here, I'll be happy about this service. But they also claim to be a reverse proxy. They claim to be a sidecar. They claim to be an ingress controller. Guys, really? How can you do all, possibly all that? You don't have the funds, first of all, to do all of that. And even if you do, how can you improve all of that stuff at once? This is a completely different problem. Being a proxy, being a web server is completely different. And people freak out when I, when I see that. A lot of people disagree with me, but that's just an opinion. That's my opinion. If I'm going to pick a proxy, I'm going to either build it from scratch or pick something that is purely a proxy. Example, a proxy. Nginx is, 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 is doing a great job as, as a reverse proxy because it was, it was built a long time ago. Plus, it's built in C++, so there's no garbage collection. So that's uh, that's another point. Yeah, traffic. Traffic is a Golang reverse proxy. That's a good example. How is traffic doing in the in the in the cloud? Maybe it's doing great. Maybe I'm wrong. Of course, I might be wrong. How are you saying? I'm thinking about a career orientation change. Do you have some advice to start as a cloud architect career? Ah. Cloud architect. So if you think about cloud architect, I, I, I've heard about this term, but I understand why it exists because cloud architecture is a little bit different from normal architecture because cloud architectures, you have to worry about security compared to enterprise architecture where you're kind of secured internally, right? I mean, you can still secure, but you're not worrying about security when it comes to Yes, you do worry about security, but in cloud, it's it's public, right? In enterprise, nobody can access you. It's it's behind nets and all that stuff. So I would focus on security when it comes to uh, cloud architecture, in my opinion, and networking, obviously. Small application with very small traffic can be monolithic. And if you don't see huge traffic in the near future, consider monolithic. I agree with that statement. Yeah, if you don't, uh, if you don't need microservices, Stick to monolithic. Right? Only do it when, that, when those big guys actually, they only needed to go to Microsoft because they absolutely need to. Uh, Tarek said, could you explain GeoDNS or round-robin DNS? Uh, so GeoDNS and round-robin DNS, let, let's talk about them. A little bit. Let's sip some water and think about GeoDNS. So they also have all fancy names. What is DNS first? What is DNS? DNS is a service, runs on UDP. Not if it's a DOH, but on top of, if it's DOH, that's a different story, but it runs on UDP and it, you give it a new domain and it tells you the IP address so that you actually can establish a TCP connection to that IP address. And the trick here is what IP address should it give you? If you go to, if I go to google.com in India, actually type google.com in India, and I type google.com in California, I'm going to get two different IP addresses. Why? Because the request that 
the DNS request from India to to the DNS query will the DNS provider will know oh this IP is coming from India let us let us give them a Google IP address that is the closest to India it could be in India it could be in somewhere in Asia and that the IP address you deliver so that's called geo that's that's called a spatial spatial proximity right geo geo dns and other names so based on your geography you receive an ip address that is very closest to you and how do you know that because when you send a udp request to actually ask for the dns you put your source ip address there right it's a packet source ip is going to be your ip the destination ip is going to be the dns uh, ip address which is in if it's Cloudflare, it's going to be 1111. If it's uh, Google, it's going to be 8888. If it's your ISP, it's going to be some, some, something fancy that has your ISP, so they can look at what, what you're searching. So that's GeoDNS. The, 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 the other thing, wow, we've been streaming for 54 minutes. Wow, okay. Time flies with you guys. I love you guys. Time flies. All right, so what, is, what, what else? What is the other thing you said? Oh, round robin. DNS. That's the Androbin DNS is, is the most important DNS when it comes to high availability and active active clustering. We talked about active active versus active passive. Check out the videos on that. If you want to search anything, just type Hussein or, or active active the, the topic and then type Hussein after that. So so you can find my my content. Usually I, I talk about most of the stuff. If I talk about something, I usually stumbled upon it. But in order to stumble upon it, I had to search a lot of stuff and make videos about a lot of stuff to, in order to reach that. So, active, active. Or before we do active, active round, round robin is there is in the DNS, there is a record called SRV record, which is a service record. And it can contain multiple IP addresses. And why, you might say? Because. You can make a DNS request to Google and get one IP address. And if you make the same DNS request to Google, you're going to get another IP address. Why? That's a perfect round-robin load balancing. So that you don't send all the people making requests going to Google.com to the same machine running IP address, right? Whether this machine happened to the actual web server or happened to be the reverse proxy. That's why what, what they do for true active active cluster high availability cluster they put two reverse proxies this has ip address let's say 6666 and this ip address 7777 right and there behind this reverse proxy the first one there is i don't know 300 services web servers and behind this reverse proxy there is 400 services so now when you go to yourservers.com let's say i'm gonna call it Tariq ali is that your last name, Ali? I hope I, hope I didn't butcher that. TarakAli.com DNS provider has the service uh, record of two. 6666 and 7777. So if someone made a request, it goes to this active, active uh, to this cluster, to the reverse proxy, because that's this, that's what the IP address is. So the internet does a job and drops you right there. And then once it, it sees that and goes to one of the services based on the layer seven uh, round robin or any load balancing algorithm that the reverse proxy is configured at. If you make another request, you might go to a completely different reverse proxy, 777, and that does also a round robin. And 
and that could go infinite amount of time uh, to another reverse proxy to another reverse proxy to another reverse proxy until it reaches the the actual backend service that actually consumes or 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 returns the result to you make sense oh Tariq Ali, yes <laughs> so that makes sense makes sense so that's that's basically it so this architecture if you build something like that your application better be stateless if it's not stateless the whole architecture is gonna flip <laughs> right because guess what you make a fetch command to to six 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 all right uh, to 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 tarqali.com gives you the ip address and then you go to one server and then you put a state on one of the machines there and then you make another request i don't know to to the same tarqali.com now gives you another ip address gives you another server and you're looking for that state that just destroys your architecture so that's when you need to be smart about i'm not saying stateful is bad right but if you want to to do this then you have to be stateless. So make sure the request have every single thing it needs when you actually send it so that it doesn't rely on a state stored in a server. So it's not stateful. That's not always the case because sometimes you need to build an application in a stateful manner to to save uh, some cycles and get a much, much better performance. And that's when you get into sticky sessions and, and all that jazz. But sticky session is going to be very tricky to, 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 to manage at the DNS level. I have no idea how we're going to do that. Uh, Jetan says, it is, is it outdated to use PM2 on a VM over using Docker containers? What is PM2? Is, is, isn't PM2 the, that Node.js thingy that spins up multiple processes? Unless I'm, I'm missing something here. But PM2 is, is on a single machine. Oh, okay. Now it's okay. Maybe in the, we're on the same page. So PM2 is 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 the app that spins up multiple services, I guess, huh? Uh, on the same machine versus Docker container. I don't see a difference to be honest. So if you use PM2 in the same machine, that just works on a single VM or single machine, right? Docker containers, you can spin up multiple Docker containers. But it's, if it's still in the same machine, you can do that. I don't know if there is a tool that actually does that for you. A PM2 at the container level. To my, to be honest, I don't see a value. Just use PM2 on, on your VM. Yeah. Um, the problem with, the, with when, when you move to Docker containers, um, you have to orchestrate them between two machines. And for that... Either write your own script or use Kubernetes, which is an overkill for some for most people. Brian Lopez, thanks for sharing your knowledge. Greeting from Guatemala. I was drinking Guatemalan coffee last week. This one today is from Peru. Appreciate you, Brian. Cluster mode in Node.js. Yes, there is a cluster mode in Node.js. I believe I never used it though. There was another good question. Can you talk, uh, Abdurrahman says, can you talk about microservices design pattern pros and cons? I made a video about that. Check it out uh, if you want to learn more about them. Just say microservices Hussein. You're going to see the, the video. I actually talk about the pros and cons. But in a nutshell, we'll see. So microservices, see, see, see if I can nail it. Uh, so microservices, the idea here is what is microservices, right? 
before before we jump into microservices the idea here is i build one application and i have methods i have a function i have a class in the same app and i call a method on that class and all of that is built within the linker right the the operating system linker that links everything and it goes into one machine and that machine actually goes in the whole functions are all cached in the ram and if i call a function it's just literally a silicon call it's just the whole thing is electric i think yeah you can say it's electric electronic everything is electronic and you can call the function very quickly you cannot get any quicker than silicon that's unless we figure out quantum right so that's if i call a function it's in the same application you can't i don't know hello world or any function if it's in the same application that's the best thing ever the problem with having functions in the same app is um, you get two people two developers managing the same code base in this case right i mean you can argue that you can put this into a different project and reference them in dlls or SOs or whatever referencing or d linking uh, DLL right or linking library any any concept like that you can do that but still it's it's gonna when you when the app load is gonna all load in memory yeah some of them will lazily load but it's still at the same time all of them is the same machine same silicon it's the faster the problem here is the communication the problem here is I have to use the same language right between if i if i want to call a function in go this function also has to be in, written in go net c sharp this has to be c sharp that's not entirely true because you can build a, a dll in vb.net and you can build a different project in c sharp and still communicate with each other that's the beauty of net right but that's a framework that's that's there's 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 a layer there that does all that stuff for you but Regardless, so take take my word for it. You have to use the same language. A lot of people don't like that. The, another thing is team management, right? It's like okay, this this team want to use this certain database versus this team want to use this certain database. You can't. You have to use this this is singleton database, and 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 everybody has to agree because this 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 the client also uses the same. Um, he needs to use this database, so. There's a lot of things that um, some problems that people found with with the monolithic approaches, which we, which were we talk about, right? Plus, when you put a lot of stuff, speaking of monolith, if you put a lot of method, a lot of function in single application, and you spin it up, it takes time, right? Because whether you want to use function A, B, C, D, you don't get the choice. You you you're gonna you're gonna get all of them when you spin up the application, right? There are some compiler optimization that you do if you are advanced that actually don't load certain function if you're not going to use them and lazily load them. But that's advanced stuff. You can do all sorts of advanced stuff. Facebook does this all the time with PHP, right? So, so slow to start. Uh, have to use the same language. There are some restrictions and um, other stuff as well. So people said, okay, we're going to use microservices. And we're gonna break them up. So the moment you break things up, first of all, I'm gonna talk about the cones. You slow you slow things down, because now this function becomes a service, 
you have to listen on a port because how else how are you how how else are you going to communicate right you have to listen on a network port so that's some network you have networking knowledge right that you didn't have to worry about before right you might argue that oh, I'm not going to use ports I'm going to use uh, inter-process communication well still things that you didn't have to do now you have to do it so that's the first thing you have to have no networking libraries on both sides this the function and the function that calls it right so that's the first thing that slows things down develop in the development process because i have to implement this stuff and the second problem is what if i decide to upgrade this logic right what if i decide to upgrade this library to communicate to something other other, other protocol than from tcp to udp or from http to http2 you have to rewrite the logic here this is where service mesh came and says oh guys let's isolate that so to me what's happened with microservices we had almost no problem or very little problem and we tried to be f so fancy we broke everything into microservices and we created double or, or not even triple the amount of problems but now to me microservices created more problems and it, the more problem it creates people come in and try to solve the problems that the microservices created that didn't exist before that's what's nuts about the whole thing it's nuts guys so another problem is like when you want to debug a monolithic application what do you do Look, you put a breaking point and you run your application and everything in ram so you can essentially stop and debug everything you want whether it's a function different function from other class if it's another project you just add that project to the linker and then all of a sudden it shows up and you can debug it guess what you cannot do that in microservices once you send that request it's gone from your application how the hell would you how the hell would you would you debug that so now people oh guys we're gonna solve this problem for you yeah uh first of all we're gonna put service meshes and the service mesh well what we're we gonna do we're gonna put something called tracing so now we have invented a new term that we didn't need before called open tracing and there's all sort of application called distributed tracing so now i don't blame anyone that jumps into this field and says what the heck are you guys doing distributed tracing so you can when you send a request because now we have to go through 700 hopes how the heck i trace this request into its server previously it, it's a debug oh just debug to, to, to follow it and and the compiler does everything for me all right well the runtime at least does that for me but you cannot do that so they they, they invented solutions to solve problems created by this architecture again i might have i might seem a little bit negative when it comes to microservices that's because people took it to the extreme and that's my beef with the whole thing we're solving problems that didn't exist so if you if you're if you're mike's donut shop why the heck do you need microservices just spin up a wordpress app and then do your thing you don't need microservices if you if, you, if you're selling carpets right why do you need microservices so 
my point is we're over engineering things and as a result we create problem and when we create this problem we try to solve these problems that we actually created that we didn't have before guys i want i want to focus what what we did here to 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 do this that's the cons the pros of the microservices now we have a lighter version the service does one thing and one thing only so that's sexy when we talk about it oh my services are sexy they're lightweight they spin up fast which is very attractive to me i like it i like if the service takes uh, 20 milliseconds to start oh my god this is good but is it worth me investing on oh my god i didn't even talk about kubernetes now we have how many services do we have now we have two services that let's say you have a lot of functions and and you decided to break them even finer which is a bad idea by the way a lot of people talk about the macro services now instead of micro services so yeah instead of breaking your monolithic every single function into a microservice or a group of function to microservice do a macro services where just like okay still keep things that are chatty next to each other and keep things that are chatty next to each other and things that barely talk to each other let them talk through the service that's fine that if you do it right you can actually get really really good things so yeah tracing can be achieved by uh, stitching logging a transaction id so yeah that's what you do basically you give a transaction id or a request id for every request that you make and you can trace it i'm not saying something is wrong with that i i'm questioning why do you need it in the first place don't don't break everything up right and the moment you start breaking up a lot of services now how do you scale well it scaling became easier because hey i can just spin up multiple services very easy right but now how do you load balance these things well you have to put a reverse proxy okay you have to put so this thing called service discovery okay that's another overhead uh, then you all, all of a sudden you start you have to spin up you cannot put all of this in one machine because the moment you put this in one machine then if that machine goes down your entire application and all of these services just goes down with it docker or not doesn't matter if if you're if you have 300 docker container running on a single machine if that machine dies everything dies <laughs> right so now we have to put another vm with the same architecture now you have duplicated your work the 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 nasty things you had to do here you had to do it over again so now people came in and says to the rescue kubernetes something or or mesos before that let let me orchestrate that for you i'll take care of all that beautiful stuff for you so you just put another architecture on top of it and and after that i'm just lost it's like there is no coming back from this. This the media is running of this. The marketing, everybody's just promoting Kubernetes and all the ads on Twitter. What do you see? Oh, learn Kubernetes in three days. Learn uh, uh, gateway API gateway. Learn uh, now. Yeah, we created a lot of jobs, I guess. But do we really need that for everybody? Probably not. For the cloud. If someone is managing all that stuff for me, I might bite. I might bite. But the inner engineer in me doesn't feel content, let's say, 
to 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 not understand what the heck is going on. It just feels really wrong. Right. Again, I might be just a conspiracy theorist. Why is it called a, a VM when it's an actual machine? Well, uh, a virtual machine, you can put multiple virtual machines in a single physical machine. Love the take. Uh, again, guys, uh, you can do a free think for yourself, right? It's just, this is my take. I want you to think about everything. Ask why, right? Before jumping into anything, right? And uh, sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't, right? I'm not, I'm not being just negative about microservices for the sake of it. If it makes sense, obviously. Right? For Google, if, if they don't have microservices, they will not scale because they are Google. They receive billions of requests a day. Twitter, the same thing. I don't believe Twitter has microservices. They, they still use VMs, by the way. That might have changed because I, I listened to a podcast that actually used VMs. When to use RPC, RabbitMQ over HTTP? RPC, request a remote procedural call over HTTP? Well, remote procedural call is a, is a generic term where you can call a remote function through sockets, right? Whether the socket is UDP, TCP, or any other medium, carrier pigeon doesn't matter right you can put a pigeon that delivers your request to other machine and that machine takes that pigeon and then gets the message and then execute it that's also through rpc but http is a it's just a protocol that allows rpc so you can you can you can say that http is rpc some people will will yell yell at me if if they hear me say that because http is a request response system uh, Roy Fielding, the creator. That, oh, that's rest. That never mind. <laughs> uh, what's the difference between API and gRPC? Oh, these are just uh, API is a generic term. RP, RPC. Oh, not gRPC. You're talking about RPC. Hmm. Remote procedural call is when you have a function and you want to execute that function remotely. API is when you have a set of API, a very uniform thing, right? Application programming interface that serves a certain amount of, of thing. And then that defines it. So API is a backend thing. RPC is a communication thing. You can build an API on top of RPC if you want to. You can build an API on top of any, any protocol. What do you think about data structures interviews? Um, data structure interview. Well, it depends what you're interviewing for. I think they are mostly BS, in my opinion, because uh, the interviewer will just throw at you what they learned in school, probably, and they say, okay, solve, do a quick sort, which is completely useless question, in my opinion, right? Because you can memorize that and then go, right? But because this is something known. To me, a good interview question would be, an open-ended question that makes you actually, you cannot actually look it up. If I say, if you would build Facebook front-end, for example, just pick one niche, how would you build it? Just, just throw him under the bus like that. That will be a very interesting answer because it's like, oh, what do you mean? What do you, do you mean this? If, if you, 
you will see if someone is knowledgeable or not because he, they they will start asking you back questions. I'm talking about as an interviewer, right? They will start asking you back questions. And they ask you back questions, then you know what kind of quality of questions they ask and you can kind of gauge their knowledge and you can make your decision as a result. Uh, but data structure questions are good if you're interviewing for, I don't know, you're building... You're building the neuro, the neural link uh, for for Elon Musk. That 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 thing is gonna be a complete different thing that we never built before. So data structures are important. So you might invent a new data structure that we didn't see before to build that thing that will allow to control our brains in the future. <laughs> JWT in one minute. Um, it's a token that has everything in it it's a stateless token basically the server generates it and you don't need a server to verify it anyone you don't need the same server to verify that token anyone can verify it obviously this is great but it also has a lot of security concerns what if that what if the the way the private key generated that token as it got got uh, got leaked or what if the algorithm what if the token turns out to be shady and we know you want to invalidate that token there's no way to do that because you don't have a centralized server that tells you this is bad anymore you have to uh, you have to create other measures and that's a, another example of how we basically complicate things in software engineering we had a problem we had session id the problem with sessions is we always had to refer to the same server uh, to authenticate ourselves right so it's a centralized system. That we wanted to create a decentralized server by creating the JSON Web Token, by having everything in the token itself. Yeah, it solved the problem. Now I can send this everywhere, and this server doesn't have to come back and validate the centralization. But once we verify it, you're good. However, there are still problems where, where what if this is uh, a bad token? I, I Someone, I don't know, got stolen, something like that. The key, the, the the corresponding key got stolen. Plus, you have to share the key. And now we have to have a public-private key uh, token validation or symmetric key token validation. And then you have the key management aspect of you. Now, you all of a sudden, you're managing keys instead of having a centralized server. So and instead of doing all of that stuff, uh, you have to worry about J JSON, web token libraries. So it creates double, double amount of the work. Right, so there is, uh, there is one PhD guy that just specialized in JWT and what's the best practice of it, and that job was created because of JWT. It didn't exist before. Most of the problems with that JWT created didn't exist before because you had a centralized server to authenticate with, and if you want to invalidate a session, easy, go to the SQL, delete that session, all done. But now, you had to come back to a centralized system anyway. So the JWT went all the and come back to the same thing, which is centralized server. Now it has centralized server. Or you had to create all this hack, refresh token, and, and what's the other thing? Access token. Sometimes, I, I swear to God, I think we have, we like to just uh, complicate our life for no reason at all. JWT versus Passport. I never used Passport. 
How do you solve secret zero problem in microservices? What is a secret zero problem? I, I never heard about that. Sakar. What if a new certificate authority needs to be introduced? A new root certificate must be installed. Not really. So the question is, what if the new certificate authority needs to be introduced? A new root certificate must be installed in all the HTTPS supported devices? No, really. Because if a new cert certificate authority needs to be introduced, we g it's, it's going to go to an existing root certificate. God knows what's the process. I think we're going to go through the browser community, the browser, what is it called? Browser browser ca something i forgot what the community is called and then you get that certificate is going to generate a private public key and it's going to take its public key and the certificate authority is going to take its public key and give it to the root certificate and the root certificate that that is existing already worldwide trust whatever it's called what's what's the one youtube is using right now so i can give you an example global sign right Global sign is a root certificate that is installed in every computer, right? So global sign, if if it trusts this new CA, let's call it uh, what's your name? What was your name? Cipher, 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 badass name. So Cipher CA all of a sudden takes its public key and take it to the global sign, and global sign takes its private key and sign your public key, and now it's a proof that this is trusted. And nobody have the the private key of global sign except except global sign so now if you send a request if you if now you can safely generate certificate for leaf certificate for other users and when you get that certificate you can just take it and then verify it using the public key and until you reach reach the root certificate and you check the root certificate as, as it exists on your server yes trusted no there Adarsh, we have Adarsh on the house. We did. Uh, I did a, uh, an interview with Adarsh. It was great, guys. Check it out. Check out the interview I did with Adarsh. I'm gonna actually just plug it right here. Let me search for it. Let me search for it. Adarsh is a great interview. Check check his channel out. Adarsh, saying no. So let's see. There you go. Becoming a better software engineer. I'm going to paste it right here, guys, for you. Boom. Check out. Check his channel out. So, Adash, what, what did he ask? I think with the complexity with authentication nowadays, it is much easier to use a third party like Google, GitHub, or Facebook. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Authentication is very complex. That's why we needed JWT, right? But these OO services already exist. They take care of all this complexity for you. So if you can authenticate with these services, that would be the best thing, right? If you want to build your own, my God, it's complicated, right? Because especially if you have multiple servers involved, uh, JWT is, is really complicated. going to become really complicated really quick. Thanks for the answer. You're welcome. <laughs> no, Adarsh, you, you, you're great, man. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Passport is a JS library for handling auth. JWT is a token standard. Thank you, Jaden, for explaining that. Any interesting questions? How much how much time do we have? Alright, we're gonna let's go for how about we go for another 
15 minutes and then in the stream so i'm gonna say the timers because i'm very bad at the timing myself all right i think he meant internal self-signed certificate just secure internal backend services i don't know what we're referring to but self-signed certificates are rejected by default the only self-signed certificate that are accepted are root certificates so if you click if you're watching this on a, on a browser even in a mobile click on that lock and then you'll see the roots the, the leaf certificate which is this site youtube.com and then you will see the certificate authority signing that and then you see the root certificate which is signing the certificate authority that's this called the certificate of trust right so the only self-signed is the root certificate and it's trusted by default because it's right there on your machine what is database seeding why are these terms coming from i never heard of the database seeding before but right sorry about that why do you need to communicate between backend and front end by rest api or http why don't we just import the function or the file that does the job without any request see abdurrahman that's a great question why do we need to network if you can so you're your your question and i like that i like the attitude of questioning everything why why do we need rest api why can't i just import the function locally so abdurrahman is is questioning the client server architecture let's see so why did we invent the client server architecture guys who can answer this let's chat type it in the chat I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna mumble while while you do so the client server architecture guys was designed for if if the function that i'm about to exude is 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 very very expensive then i'm offloading it to a server that has access to to more resources more cpu power so that's one reason the other reason is a, is that that function is querying a database with millions of users or millions of data that does not exist in my machine and it will never exist in my machine i cannot possibly download that database and keep it locally in my client right so that's another reason of using a server that that server has access to a database right so there are cases where you cannot import that function locally on your client but if you can have everything locally that will be the best thing you can do because now everything is local that's what elon musk is doing with uh, uh with 5g and the self-driving cars he's trying to put as much compute at the edge in the car itself if the car can do the compute let it do the compute right so for training purposes like if i saw if the car sees i don't know a kid and a traffic light and it couldn't identify it then that picture is sent somewhere else obviously to train that but imagine if you can effectively do the training unsupervised and i'm going into ai and, and deep learning which i don't have much experience in but i'm and if someone has, please correct me if I said anything stupid or wrong. But if I can do the training or the unsupervised training locally, asynchronously, then 
that's the best thing because I can find out the result immediately. Now, how immediate? Like if I'm about to hit a kid and I didn't know that it's a kid, that's a disaster, right? <laughs> but but if we can avoid that, that will be the 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 best scenario we can do. Constancy says that's actually a good question. Please look up database seating if you get a chance, Hussein, and get back to us on that. Oh my God, guys, you, you're making me curious now. Database seeding. Seeding or seeding? Huh, how about that? It's, it's a Wikipedia. If there's a Wikipedia entry, that means it's a legit thing. Just just FYI, by the way. Because no, nothing usually makes it to Wikipedia without 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 really deep, uh, I guess, uh, inspection. Database seeding is the initial seeding of the database with data. Seeding a database is a process in which an initial set of data is provided to a database when it's being installed. It is especially useful when we want to populate a database with data we want to develop in the future. This is often an automated process that is executed upon the initial setup of the application. The data can be dummy data. Or, okay, so it's just populating the data. Oh, okay, it's not, nothing fancy. So we're seeding the database with content, right? So whether whether I want to give it a, an SQL file when the database starts to populate itself, like especially in Docker containers, you spin a Docker container, a Postgres Docker container, it's usually empty, right? So if you if you're spinning up a database Docker container that's empty, you want to populate it with data. So if you give it a, a huge SQL file, that's kind of seeding, I guess. Based on the definition I just read, that looks like it's seeding. Another seeding is at the application level. And now I'm making shit up, <laughs> to, be, to be honest, right? Another thing is the application level where the application, the database already exists, or we spun it up somehow. Now I'm connected to it, and I'm populating the database from the application. Not the database populates itself, like the first scenario with a SQL file. No. Now I am actually connecting to the database and ah, I am inserting SQLs and I am creating tables and I'm creating a schema and everything. Hope that makes sense, guys. Let me know. Uh, I don't see any, anything much fancy about it, to be honest, but I might be wrong. Maybe I missed something. Let me know in the, comment, uh, in the, in the chat if I missed something. Yeah, the other thing is inserting master data into the database. Yeah, so it's nothing fancy, but I like that they give it its own name. That's kind of nice. So you're seeding the database. How does UDP deal with packet loss since there is no ACK? It does not, Sekar. It does not. UDP does not deal with packet loss. It's the application layer responsibility to deal with packet loss. So we're going to lose the packet. If I send the UDP packet and it got corrupted, the server can, if it reached and it got corrupted, the server knows if the packet is corrupt or not. But if you send a packet didn't reach, sorry, no way. And that's beautiful because you can just build at the application level all that jazz. You can just build it yourself, right? You can just build the acknowledgement. You can just build all that. That's what Quick did. The quick protocol did all of that built on top of UDP. TCP is built its its own thing. It's not UDP, right? It's built 
and I'm I'm glad that we had these two protocols. Otherwise, we will be in trouble with TCP. TCP is over restrictive. That's why we had to do uh, to build HTTP three and quick on top immediately of EDP because TCP is doing a lot of dumb things that we sh we don't want it to do. Right? They are good things, but dumb for our use case. Da -da -da -da. Nokala, front-end like React developers, who is good at competitive programming to back-end engineering transaction suggestion? Anyone can be a back-end engineer. Uh, it's just a, a long journey. Give it, give it five, six, seven, ten years. Right, Con continue learning. Um, what else? How you think? Uh, how you think we can solve the audio quality issue on WebRTC call? I wasn't aware there was an audio quality issue on WebRTC call. But if it will, that's probably if the UDP packet loss, right? So maybe you're going to use a different protocol. Again, I didn't build a, an audio application on top of WebRTC. But if there is a, if there's a peer to peer and there's audio quality loss, I'm going to look at a little bit high, higher band, higher guarantee protocol other than UDP. UDP is great for video. I'm not sure it translates well in the video. There is this uh, uh, quick feature called, uh, I guess, low C UDP, where it can recover a uh, application that is just, uh, the, the UDP packet that is just bad, corrupted, can actually fix it. Just started working as a software engineer. Congratulations, Karim. Any tips? Patience. I'm turning into Gary V now. Patience. Just, just close your eyes until you're seventy years old. How was how was Gary V? That, that Gary V. That was good. Was was that good? Just close your eyes until you're seventy. <laughs> close your eyes until eighty. I'm dead by eighty, Gary. If I if I reach eighty, I'll close my eyes. Gary V. Sometimes, man. I don't know if you guys watch Gary V. It's just funny. I I love him. Sometimes it's just funny. But yeah, uh, a software engineer tips, uh, if you just started, just be patient, uh, keep link, be curious, ask why, never take anything for granted. If you see anything, question everything, whether it's a senior or a CEO, question everyone. Be, don't be rude, obviously. Question it in yourself. If you see a technology, try to ask this question internally and try to sneak in these questions in a very diplomatic manner. But be curious. That's, that's my goal. Uh, stay hungry. And learn everything that you can learn and be patient. Don't think it's a one year. You're not going to write your CV. Oh, I have one year, two year experience. That's what I, mean. I have. I have now six, over 16 years and 20 years just unprofessional experience, right? Four years unprofessional when I started actually uh, coding and, and, and uh, helping people to write apps. And now 16 years actually professional working for corporate uh, companies. And I still think I don't know a lot of stuff. People call me expert, but I, I don't consider myself expert. Um, and I think this is a good. Uh, just keep working, Karim. Yeah, that's that's a good advice. Just keep working. Keep 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 chugging. How does callback works in promises? Ah, that's a weird question, Kumar. Uh, callback are different than promises. Both are works exactly the same. Uh, promises and async await is just syntactical sugar that are actually takes advantage of callbacks i might be wrong on this one 
I have hundred dollars on Azura. I want to utilize. Is there any way I can learn about Azure and start with some backend project? I never used Azure. My company does, but I I never actually spin up. Now I can think about. It. I never actually spend money on a cloud app. I should, and I see it's like how oh oh. Uh, spin up a cloud service on AC2 and see. I need to go back, go, go to the cloud and see what's all the fuss about. I'm a boomer if you didn't notice. <laughs> I like, I don't have anything against the cloud. It's just, I like to understand the basic first principle because the cloud is what? Is the same thing that we're building here? It's just a name. It's all, inter inter it's all, it's all networks, it's all servers, it's everything, but it's just, somewhere else right we just call it the cloud yeah it just helps you a lot if you're if you want to get an application started and built that's awesome just spin up something else and then take care of everything for you that's that's great um if you were 21 if i were 21 years old in 2020 how would you approach software engineering i mean if i were 21 i'll be dumb because i when i was 21 i was dumb <laughs> I'm still dumb, but so I wouldn't, I, I would take a lot of things that are granted because I, I was spoiled. I think I got a, a lot of access to smart engineers, but I, I, I always thought myself as great, which I was obviously not right. Once you have this self-realization, you realize if I go back and I have this knowledge that I have now, I'm going to take advantage of every engineer that are senior than me and I, I i squeeze all the information from them as much as possible and i continue learning how to switch from quantum developer what the hell is a quantum developer to a back engineer if you're a quantum developer stay as a quantum developer don't come to back in engineering <laughs> it's crazy how good telegram is i use telegram once but then i use i switch back to whatsapp because Nobody's on Telegram. Hey, Hussein, I'm a big fan of you. I'm a big fan of you too, Prabhan. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Other application. Oh, we have one minute left. All right. Let's let's wrap up, guys. Let's wrap up. It's been a nice, beautiful scream. Scream. A beautiful stream. Uh, I like this. I like this. Do you want to continue doing this? Q&A kind of thing with coffee. My coffee's done. But do you like it? How would you like this? Or would you like the theme, coming back to a theme approach, where we pick a topic like database asset, TLS, and then only answer questions within that theme, or we keep it open like this. Today, we discussed a lot of great questions, guys. You asked about microservices, you asked about NoSQL, SQL, NoSQL. I didn't answer that one, but that, that will take a lot of time to answer SQL versus NoSQL, so I'm not going to answer that. But yeah, guys, if you like Q&A kind of thing, I'm going to... Maybe we'll just go with Q&A. Please continue the Q&A. Yeah, you guys love it. Why do you drink water with coffee? Because my coffee is done. <laughs> I finished my coffee and I need to hydrate. Yes, okay. Looks like, good. guys, everybody likes the Q&A. All right. Maybe shorter themed video on the topic. All right. I love that. Yeah, the, the video, the themed one. We're going to make it into videos, like which we have already, right? What? Da, 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 da. Nice, guys. All right. I joined late. So can I ask a question? Okay. 
but then you can ask one more question or right, we'll, we'll we'll wait answer one more question and then we'll end this uh we'll end this uh stream because I, I i need to be somewhere now like we have we have five more minutes yeah let's let's answer the question quickly and then we will move on guys it was really fun when it will be next time saturday every saturday we stream and i put videos in the middle of the week sometimes all right guys i think i gonna stop here appreciate you thank you so much and uh gonna see you in the next one guys you guys stay awesome another successful stream in my opinion love you so much thank you for your support thank you for watching all the videos thank you for your beautiful comments thank you for the critical comments i appreciate you guys i'm gonna see you in the next one you guys stay awesome goodbye bye guys <laughs>